with me, my Airedale, Crown Prince Nobbler, asleep at my feet, when the first blast of the whistle shattered the peace and security of the ship. Ever since entering the U-boat zone, we had been on the lookout for periscopes, and children that we were, bemoaning the unkind fate that was to see us safely into France on the morrow without a glimpse of the dread marauders. We were young, we craved thrills, and God knows we got them that day. Yet by comparison with that through which I have since passed, they were as tame as a Punch and Judy show. I shall never forget the ashy faces of the passengers as they stampeded for their life belts, though there was no panic. Nobs rose with a low growl. I rose also, and over the ship's side I saw not two hundred yards distant the periscope of a submarine, while racing towards the liner the wake of a torpedo was distinctly visible. We were aboard an American ship, which, of course, was not armed. We were entirely defenceless, yet without warning we were being torpedoed. I stood rigid, spellbound, watching the white wake of the torpedo. It struck us on the starboard side, almost amidships. The vessel rocked as though the sea beneath it had been uptorn by a mighty volcano. We were thrown to the decks, bruised and stunned and then above the ship, carrying with it fragments of steel and wood and dismembered human bodies, rose a column of water hundreds of feet into the air. The silence which followed the detonation of the exploding torpedo was almost equally horrifying. It lasted for perhaps two seconds, to be followed by the screams and moans of the wounded, the cursing of the men and the hoarse commands of the ship's officers. They were splendid, they and their crew. Never before had I been so proud of my nationality as I was at that moment. In all the chaos which followed the torpedoing of the liner, no officer or member of the crew lost his head or showed in the slightest any degree of panic or fear. While we were attempting to lower boats, the submarine emerged and trained guns on us. The officer in command ordered us to lower our flag, but this the captain of the liner refused to do. The ship was listing frightfully to starboard, rendering the port boats useless, while half the starboard boats had been demolished by the explosion. Even while the passengers were crowding the starboard rail and scrabbling into the few boats left to us, the submarine commenced shelling the ship. I saw one shell burst in a group of women and children, and then I turned my head and covered my eyes. When I looked again, to horror was added chagrin for with the emerging of the U-boat I had recognised her as a product of my own shipyard. I knew her to a rivet. I had superintended her construction. I had sat in that very conning tower and directed the efforts of the sweating crew below when first her prow clothed the sunny summer waters of the Pacific. And now this creature of my brain and hand had turned Frankenstein and bent upon pursuing me to my death. A second shell exploded upon the deck. One of the lifeboats, frightfully overcrowded, swung at a dangerous angle from its davits. A fragment of the shell shattered the bow tackle, and I saw the women and children and the men vomited into the sea beneath, while the boat dangled stern up for a moment from its single davit, and at last, with an increasing momentum, dived into the midst of the struggling victims, screaming upon the face of the waters. Now I saw men spring to the rail, and leap into the ocean. The deck was tilting to an impossible angle. 
Nobbs braced himself with all four feet to keep from slipping into the scuppers, and looked up into my face with a questioning whine. I stooped and stroked his head. "'Come on, boy,' I cried, and running to the side of the ship, dived head foremost over the rail. When I came up, the first thing I saw was Nobbs swimming about in a bewildered sort of a way a few yards from me. At sight of me, his ears went flat and his lips parted in a characteristic grin. The submarine was withdrawing towards the north, but all the time it was shelling the open boats, three of them, loaded to the gunwales with survivors. Fortunately, the three small boats presented a rather poor target, which, combined with the bad marksmanship of the Germans, preserved their occupants from harm. After a few minutes, a blotch of smoke appeared upon the eastern horizon, and the U-boat submerged and disappeared. All the time, the lifeboats had been pulling away from the danger of the sinking liner, and now, though I yelled at the top of my lungs, they either did...